This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It's 1991, and Rhode Island is in the midst of a banking crisis. Dozens of state banks and credit unions have failed. Accounts are frozen, and people are cut off from their money. That's right, I haven't slept in four nights. I'm a physical wreck. I'm a physical wreck. Because of this? That's right. It's destroying my life. And even worse, there are rumors that well-connected politicians and bankers got their money out before the crash. Senator John Correa, who as a lawmaker has been accused of having a conflict of interest and as a board member has been accused of getting insider treatment for loans. Thousands of people march on the state capitol. I can't believe that you can stand there and tell me that you didn't know what was going on. You were already at a board of directors. The crisis came as a shock for most people. But there was one person who actually predicted that all this would happen. Let me say from the outstart that we in Rhode Island have been dished up a steady stream of corruption in this state. We have Arlene Violet is a former Rhode Island attorney general. And according to her, the banking crisis was caused by the network. Who is the network? The network in Rhode Island is just like organized crime, except for one thing. They make what they do legal. They get rewarded with promotions, campaign contributions, and in some instances they get rewarded by transfers into private industry here in the state of Rhode Island. I am here tonight to expose that to you. In Rhode Island, Organized crime infected every aspect of public life. It invaded City Hall, spread into the courts, and in the early 90s, it brought down the entire state banking system. Today's episode, a shadowy network that caused a crisis, a worldwide manhunt for a mobbed-up banker, and the woman who saw the whole thing coming. I'm Mark Smerling. And I'm Zach Stewart-Pontier. Welcome to Crime Town. There's two objectives, I think, is to get the money and don't get caught getting the money. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if this is the Louis Minacchio who recently returned to Rhode Island after being on the lam for 10 years. Is he the one that they call Baby Shanks? Got to learn that corruption was a part of 
the culture here. See, we got two governments in this country. We got the United States government and we got the government of crime. Everybody believed they knew who was corrupt, but I don't think they understood how deep the corruption ran. Before the banking crisis, and before she became attorney general, Arlene Violet had another job. She was a nun. I loved the spirituality. You know, back uh, in 1961, uh, the idea was that women would get married pretty early in life uh, and then have the white picket fence, etc. And while there's nothing bad about that, I wanted to do something with my life and try to make a difference. And I saw nuns as the people who could make that difference. Arlene entered the Sisters of Mercy convent and went to work in the poor neighborhoods of Providence. With the Sisters of Mercy, uh, the whole theory was, if you see an unmet need, you're the person who's supposed to meet it because no one has seen it yet. Well, for me as a nun, the unmet need was to get rights for victims of crime. So I went to my religious superiors and said, uh, you know, I, I want to become a lawyer. And lo and behold, uh, they said, sure, if you get into law school, so be it. Arlene went to law school. She was one of the only women in her class. After she graduated, she returned to Providence, worked as a lawyer in poor neighborhoods. And eventually, to make a bigger difference, she decided to run for attorney general. One day, while campaigning on Federal Hill, she came across an old man sitting in a lawn chair. Raymond Patriarca happened to be outside his coin shop and he was smoking a little stogie cigar. And he knew who I was and he knew I was running for attorney general. He said to me, hiya, sister. Sister, hiya, sister. And I said to him, I'm no sister of yours, Mr. Patriarca. And just kept going. Arlene was tough. So tough, she earned a nickname. Attila the Nun. I loved a nickname. <laughs> After years of mob hits, heists, and political corruption, the people of Rhode Island seemed to think that a nun just might be the answer. Arlene won the election, left the convent, and became the first female attorney general in the country. What was it like being a woman, the first woman attorney general? Well, it, it was tough in the sense that uh, it's a man's world, and it was very hard breaking into that. I think I was helped by the fact that I had been a nun uh, for a while, because if you can walk and talk at the same time, they think you're a big deal. And I always used to joke that I loved the attorney general's meetings, because there was never a line at the ladies' room at the break. <laughs> Arlene went about her duties as Rhode Island's new attorney general, prosecuting mobsters, taking on polluters, and advocating for the rights of victims. And then, one day, she went to a meeting. 
So I went to this thing called the Bank Board of Incorporation, where by statute, the Attorney General's on that panel. The board was composed of politicians, state regulators, and bank directors. Their job was to oversee the state banking system. And I said, well, this is going to be boring. And I arrived, and I see they were giving loans to politically connected people. The people never had to sign any personal guarantees for the loans. You know, it was house of cards. It was going to fall. But Arlene quickly realized that the problems went deeper than just bad loans. The biggest problem was the state banking system's insurer, known by the acronym RISDIC. Rhode Island Share and Deposit Indemnity Corporation. Our commitment to protecting your savings is carved in stone. RISDIC was a private insurance fund. It was supposed to protect the banking system if it got into trouble. But private insurance like RISDIC is not backed by any government. It has no access to any public treasury. This is Robert Stitt, an auditor hired by Arlene. He said that RISDIC, with just $25 million in reserves, was woefully underfunded, so it wouldn't be able to bail the banks out if they started to fail. The difficulty is, if a run starts with Institution A, it spreads to B, C, and D, and everybody is trying to get help, and the help just isn't available, and RISDIC's $25 million will go a very short way. So Arlene pushed for legislation that would prevent this kind of crisis from happening. The bill would require the banks to be federally insured. But federal insurance would mean federal oversight. And that meant no more sweetheart loans for political insiders. Arlene's bill was voted down. And according to her, it was because of the coziness between state representatives and the bank directors. The legislators who had the power to change this were intertwined with these credit unions. They themselves had loans. They were intertwined because they were getting campaign contributions. Also, their friends were on the board, or they were on the board of directors of these credit unions. It was an incestuous marriage all along because there were so many players who were politically connected. And there was one player who really worried Arlene. His name was Joe Mullicone Jr., and he ran a bank on Federal Hill, Heritage Loan and Investment Company. The history there is that Joe's father was the banker for Raymond Patriarca. He was Puppy Dog. Yeah, Mr. Mollicone uh, was named Puppy Dog Mollicone, an appropriate name because he was a lapdog uh, for organized crime and Raymond Patriarca's so-called banker. Heritage was on our list as a, a problem facility. Of course, its location near the organized crime headquarters uh, of the New England mob also had us concerned. Uh, there was intelligence to suggest bag money going in there from the various mob activities. 
when Raymond Patriarca died right before I became Attorney General, there was still a flow of money going into that bank. Joseph Malacone Jr. had a lot of friends, and according to law enforcement sources, one of those friends was Louis Babyshanks Monocchio. Remember Louis Monocchio from the episode about the doctor broad? He was close to Malacone and was often seen hanging around Heritage. On August 7th last year, we observed Monocchio walking up Atwell's Avenue after leaving the restaurant he runs. He entered the Heritage Bank a few blocks away, and investigators want to know just what dealings, if any, Malacone had with Monocchio. We knew that uh, lots of cash was being deposited uh, in that bank. There would be briefcases that mobsters generally didn't have with their apparel, other than if it were carrying money, etc. Arlene was right to be concerned about Heritage, because Joe Mullicone's bank was the spark that ignited the entire Rhode Island banking system. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. When Arlene Violet was attorney general, she had a lot of concerns about the banking system. But no one took her seriously. She lost her bid for re-election. So I got a call from somebody at the uh, Department of Business Regulation. So there's a problem here. This is Jim O'Neill. He replaced Arlene as attorney general. And one day in 1990, he got a call about Heritage, that bank on Federal Hill run by Joe Mullicone. Well, what's the nature of the problem? So the problem is that they had uh, $13 million in offline loans. And I said, well, how do you define an offline loan? Well, that's a loan where there's no paper trail, there's no documentation. So, I mean, so somebody stole $13 bucks, right? They did say that they had talked to Joe Mullicone and he indicated that he was going to a wedding in Connecticut over the weekend. The money would be back on Monday. And I said, well, they better have a large fucking money tree <laughs> at that wedding if he's going to pay 13 million bucks back. Then he was gone. No one knows the whereabouts of Heritage President Joseph Mollicone Jr. He was last seen November 8th, and he is suspected of embezzling $13 million from Heritage. There is now a warrant out for his arrest. Okay, how do you find Joe Mollicone? To track down Mollicone, Jim O'Neill worked with an investigator named Patrick McNulty. We were looking for Joe Mollicone everywhere. We got word from O'Neill that... Uh, there was rumors that he was in Italy at the Olympic Games. A couple of different locations in Italy. And there was a point in time where I had to make a decision whether to send some investigators to Italy to run that lead down. 
Of course, we were trying to figure out any way we could to go to the Olympic Games in, in Italy to find him. And I elected not to. I said, it just wasn't solid enough. It certainly wouldn't be appropriate for me to go over there and come back with a case of vino and a lot of pasta in my belly, you know? We saw some activity on credit cards. We even were talking with clothing companies to see if we could link up the clothing that he was wearing, where he bought it, but we really couldn't put it together. He literally fell off the face of the earth. News of Mullicone's embezzlement and disappearance was everywhere. Rizdik stepped in to pump millions of dollars into Heritage, and officials assured the public that the situation was under control. Rizdik has met the task. We've taken control of institutions that have become problems, and we've returned them to health and returned them to their operators. Uh, Rizdik is uh, paying out those uh, depositors. Uh, if they're frightened, it's because of what they read and hear. So the media is responsible then? Well, not necessarily. It's, it's, again, what people hear and, and read. People were hearing a lot of troubling news, and many of them began to take their money out. This was my bank for 20 years. I feel bad when something like this. Is that why you're taking out your money today? Yes. I take it out of no feel no more secure, you know. Before long, it was a bank run. So on January 1st, 1991, a newly elected governor did something drastic. I am declaring a bank emergency in Rhode Island. He shut down all 45 institutions insured by RISDIC. More than 200,000 people couldn't get their money. Everything that Arlene Violet predicted was coming true. Once things started to unfold, it was, it was surreal. This is Ed Parry. He was the superintendent of banking for the state, and it was his job to enforce the account shutdown. I'm shutting down ATMs. You know, so people walking up to ATMs, you know, thinking they can access their account, and I've shut off the system, you know, to allow that. I mean, it's heartbreaking. You know that people are, you know, trying to pay their bills, and... You know, they've written checks, and we're not going to let them clear. I have a, a $780 rent check that I pay every month. I have a car payment I make. I have groceries that I have to buy. I have charge cards that I pay. There are a lot of very upset people who could, you know, easily reach desperation. and. What am I going to do for paying my bills? I got bills that, are, that I owe. Dear God. There were threats. Our windows were broken at times. Um, I don't know how many nights I appeared up on a stage, just people vented. And frankly, they had a right to do so. Do I have any faith in my state government? No. Am I angry? Yes. Am I disgusted? Yes. Meanwhile, Attorney General Jim O'Neill was still hunting for the president of Heritage Loan and Investment, Joe Mullicone. One day, he got a call. I got a call from an attorney 
and said that Joe would like to come in. I said, well, that's, that's good. When? He said, soon. So I said, okay, what do you mean by soon? Well, soon. I can't tell you exactly when, but he wants to come in. And here's the conditions. He'll only surrender to you, and that's it. I said, well, it's mighty noble of him. <laughs> I said, we can arrange that. A meeting was set at the house of Mullicone's attorney. And we drove down the road. When we were driving up there, we had country music playing. And there was a foggy night. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it was like a scene out of a late movie. You know? I was So we drove by the house, and you could see him in the library. So we just said, let's go right up to the door. So we rang the bell. It was like Avon calling, you know, bing bong. <laughs> we stepped in the house and uh, looked in, and there's Joe there. Said, uh, how are you, Joe? I'm OK. So said, are you ready to go? Yep, all set. Then it was off to the ACI, the perp walk captured on video, an indelible moment in Rhode Island history. O'Neill walked Malacone in, the state's most wanted, finally locked up. So where was Joe Malacone all this time? South America? The Caribbean? Sipping red wine in Italy? Nope. He was living as John Fazioli in Salt Lake City. I had to pick a place and... There was really no reason other than I had flown there before. I mean, it, nothing of consequence. Years later, Mullicone talked with a reporter in prison. In the video, he sits in the library wearing a green jumpsuit. Why did you do it? Well, I didn't sit back one day and say, I'm going to do this. It just increased and just got out of control. It's almost like you don't want to get caught, but... You hope you do get caught. Mullicone was sentenced to 30 years, and nobody knows what really happened to the millions he stole. But there were rumors that a lot of it went to the mob. I'd never looked at it as though I was taking an individual's money. I knew that the funds were insured and that, um, that the people really wouldn't lose the money. I had no idea that there would be a banking crisis. Mullicone became the fall guy for the financial crisis. But people also blamed the politicians. Again, Arlene Violet. Uh, there were politicians who pulled their money out, unions that pulled their money out before it became public. They tend to pass it off as coincidence, not cause and effect. So, of course, the politicians held public hearings, looking for someone else to blame. Do you solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give in this matter will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God? I do. Would you state your name and spell your last name? Arlene Violet, D-I-O-L-E-T. Arlene Violet. The politicians went after her for not doing more while she was attorney general. But Attila the Nun was the last person they should have messed with. 
my question to you is, the banking situation was a potential powder keg. Why did you not say that the economy of the state is in jeopardy and you've got to help us get this legislation through? Well, first Why of did all, you not do that? Your question is a joke. No sooner had we begun to get our ducks in order than it became very apparent to us that this bill was going to be killed. End of story. For heaven's sakes, virtually the entire time I was on that bank board, here's the votes. They were all four to one. Here's me. Violet objects. Article after article. Greater Providence inflated its assets. Violet charges. Here's another one. Violet objects. I won't bore you, sir, but these are just some in this big book of my being in print telling the people who should have been responsible that there were problems in the institution. They know how to read. They heard what I was saying. They were seeing what else was happening in banking. There's no question in my mind uh, that RISDIC was there to prop up the rich and infamous in the state. And why? That's the network. RISDIC no longer exists. Nobody but Joe Mullicone went to prison for their role in the crisis. And it took some depositors years to get their money back. Eventually, people at least got back their money uh, without uh, the interest. But the real victims, all those people in between who had no access and they were living uh, on the basis of those monies that they had in those accounts and couldn't access them. And it ruined many, many people in Rhode Island. Yeah. Did it change things, do you think? I wished and prayed that it would change things. But people forget. And when you're an attorney general and you try to clean up public corruption, you know, you hope you leave office and you've made the place a better place. And I wish I could say I did make it a better place, but I didn't. So it all just comes roaring back again and the network just reassembles itself. In places like Rhode Island, corruption becomes part of the culture. And it forces everyone to make a cruel choice. Join in or be a sucker. So if you live here, how do you free yourself from that choice? You can vote for someone like Arlene Violet, a woman of unquestionable integrity and honesty. Or if that doesn't work, you can vote for this guy. I will be the best mayor this city ever has. It's a new day, and Buddy Cianci is once again running for mayor. I love the city of Providence. The people of the city of Providence owe me nothing. I owe them everything. Hey, Crime Town listeners. Buddy's return is coming in two weeks. But don't worry, next week we'll have a bonus episode for you and bring back a couple people you might remember, a cat and a mouse. I get information from an informant that Tony's doing armored cars now, and that he had already done one at the Emerald Square Mall.
Crime Town is me, Mark Smerling, and Zach Stewart-Pontier. We are produced by Drew Nellis, Caitlin Roberts, Austin Mitchell, and Mike Plunkett. Our associate producer is Laura Sim. We're edited by Alex Bloomberg and Caitlin Kenny. Fact-checking by Mick Rouse. This episode of Crime Town was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Matthew Boll. Additional mixing by Enoch Kim and Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Run to Your Mama by Goat. The country music is Shadows of You by Kenny Brent and Donna Harris, courtesy of Jack Fleischer. The choir is The Provident Singers, rendition of Hymn to the Virgin by Benjamin Britton. RISDIC Archival, courtesy of the Rhode Island State Archives. News Archival, courtesy of WPRI Channel 12. Original music by John Kusiak, John Ivins, Bobby Lord, Billy Klein, Edwin, and Beanart. Our ad music is by Matthew Boll. Our digital editor is Rob Zipko. Our design director is Ale Lariu. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. Show me your bank book, Alex. This season of Crime Town is dedicated to the memory of Bill Malinowski. If you want to know more about Arlene Violet, check out her autobiography, Convictions, My Journey from the Convent to the Courtroom. Thanks to the Providence Journal, Julia Hamans, Emily Wiedemann, Lisa Newby, Tim White, Jim Terracani, Phil West, Ken Carlson, Ed Demiglio at Retro Media, Sam Eilertson, Kate Wells, Mary Murphy, Brian Andrews, Dan Barry, and everybody who shared their stories with us. For a full list of credits and for bonus content from this episode, visit our website at crimetownshow.com. You can find us on Twitter at Crimetown and on Facebook and Instagram at Crimetownshow. And if you're enjoying Crimetown, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. Thanks. Providence is a special place, and we're honored to tell a part of its story. I just heard the news from the people on the inside. They say RISDIC's in big trouble. They say the credit unions could close at any moment. I've only got one question. How much time do we have left? There's just a few more hours until the RISDIC crash. There's just a few more hours. For you to get your